Welcome to Sunday School. No, it's not 9.30, but uh, we have been studying the subject of the Holy Spirit in the adult Sunday School class here in the auditorium for this past quarter. And we had promotion exercises this morning, and you all have been promoted to the uh, Keystone Sunday School class, uh, the Gemstone Sunday School class here in the auditorium. And uh, we've been studying the Holy Spirit, and we missed one of our lessons because we had the missionary um, that was here with us, Andy Giesman. And the uh, last study in the quarter has to do with the Holy Spirit in the church. And I felt that was too important of a subject to not teach this lesson. And in fact, I felt it was important enough that we should expand it and even present it in the format we are tonight uh, here in the evening service. So we are glad to, uh, that you're here this evening to get in on the truth that we want to look at from God's Word concerning the Holy Spirit and the way that He works in the church. We uh, just sang a couple of songs that relate to the, whole, the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, uh, the Helper. He's come. He's come to help us. He's come to encourage us. Uh, he's been called alongside to be our, our supporter. We, we, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church. We need that all the time. Uh, we certainly need it in, in the coming months as we'll be looking at a pastoral transition here. We need the uh, direction of the Spirit of God on the men that will be uh, taking the point in, in this responsibility. We will need the ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in the lives of the people in the church. We, we need the unity of the Spirit uh, within the church as, as a whole as we uh, carry out this endeavor in the months to come, as well as for all the various ministries of the church. And so tonight uh, we'll be talking about the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the church. Uh, how's he function in the church? What's he do? Uh, why do we need him so desperately? And, and you've got the uh, handout there in front of you, and we'll also throw some things, things up on the screen. The first thing we find is that the, the Spirit unites the church. If you've got unity in the church, it's a result of the working of the Holy Spirit, particularly in the lives of the individuals. If you've got a church of people that are filled with the Spirit of God and controlled with the Spirit of God, you're going to have unity in that church, Amen. You know, and, and it's important that we have the Spirit directing in our lives and within the church. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, a, a verse that we, we mentioned quite a bit in the, the lesson this morning, uh, we find that the church is formed by the Holy Spirit. The church has not always been in existence. When did the church begin? Began on the day of Pentecost. Uh, after the Lord Jesus was crucified and, and rose again and ascended to glory. And the key thing that was involved in the birthday of the church was that the Holy Spirit came 
to begin a brand new ministry. And it's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't here before Pentecost. One of the attributes of God is that he is omnipresent. What's that mean? It means he's present everywhere. And just as Jesus was present in the earth uh, before the incarnation, so the Spirit was present in the world before the day of Pentecost. At the incarnation, Jesus came in a very special way. He became man. He dwelt with people. And that ended uh, at the ascension when he ascended back to the Father. You're not going to see Jesus physically here on the earth right now. And quite honestly, anybody that tells me that they do see Jesus, I'm pretty skeptical of them when they make that statement. I saw Jesus the other day. and No, I don't think so. Jesus ascended to heaven. And one of these days, we are going to see him face to face. And that's going to take place at the rapture of the church when he comes and takes us out of this world and we will meet him in the clouds. So he came in a special way at the incarnation and through the virgin birth. He left in that special way at the ascension, but he's still here. He's still here. He's still present everywhere. The Holy Spirit came in a special way at Pentecost, and he's going to leave in that special way at the rapture of the church. The, the, the church will not continue to be built after the rapture. Israel will become the focal point of God's program once again on the earth at that time. But now the Holy Spirit came in the world, and he came, and what happened on the day of Pentecost is he began the baptizing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, we find it tells us that we are all baptized into one body. Every single Christian gets baptized by the Holy Spirit of God into the universal church, into the body of Christ. For you and me, that happens at the instant of our salvation. We become part of the universal church. For the apostles and other Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost, although they were saved prior to that, they're brought into the church, which just came into existence on the day of Pentecost. So the first thing we find... The Holy Spirit produces unity by, by baptizing us into the body of Christ. We're, we're all different, just like we have all kind of different parts in our physical body, but we're all part of the body. It's wonderful when our body works together, isn't it? it it's wonderful when your stomach digests the food that your mouth takes in, right? When you take the food in and your stomach does not want to digest it, that's not so pleasant. When your, uh, your brain and your feet work at the same speed, then you don't trip and fall. It, it's great when, when we, our body functions in a unity. And it's great when the church functions in a unity. That's what God intends. Not that we're all the same. A church unity is not uniformity. We don't all have blue as our favorite color. We don't all like the, certain kind, the, the same kinds of music. But unit, unity is when, even with those differences, we can work together, we can love each other, and we can accomplish what the Lord wants us to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus works to break down the middle wall of partition that existed between 
Jews and Gentiles. And in verse 13 it says, But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, uh, continue, contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit. To the Father. So we find it's the Holy Spirit that, that produces unity within the church. He, he gives us a, a special link, a special bond to each other. Back in ancient Israel, one of the things that, that held the Jews together was they were all Jews. They all had that in common. But today, the church is made up of people from all different nations, all different backgrounds, all different languages, all different ethnic groups. But what a great thing when, when we have that, that unity of the Spirit. What an exciting thing to have uh, believers from other countries come and visit us here at First Baptist in Carroll. We had George DePaul here a while back. And, and to be able to just have a special connection with, with believers as they come. Or, or to sometimes have the opportunity to go to another country and you have that, that bond with them. Or sometimes you don't go to another country. Sometimes you go to worship at another church or, or, or meet with believers somewhere else and that connection's there. Ha, ha, why do we have that connection? Well, it's a result of the Holy Spirit bringing us into one body. The Spirit also works to preserve that unity. Uh, you're there in, in Ephesians and over in chapter 4, first four verses says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. The Spirit brings us in and, and forms unity. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to maintain that unity in the bond of peace that unity can be broken and you know how it gets broken when we want our will instead of god's will when we want to go our way instead of the way of the holy spirit uh, when, when we're filled with self and selfish instead of controlled by the holy spirit of god we maintain that unity by according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, being filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit. We're told there not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then in the next several verses, it gives us three indications of what shows up when we're really controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. It talks about singing, making melody in our heart to the Lord. We, we sing in joy. We're always joyful. We, we can be joyful sometimes in the flesh, right? 
But how, how, how much does the Lord want us to be joyful? When does the Lord want us to rejoice? Yeah. Now rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you didn't get it, Paul says, again, I say, rejoice. You can't do that on your own. There are certain times in your life and my life that if we're left to our own devices, we don't have that deep-seated sense of well-being that comes from knowing how well off we really are. Well, with the power of the Holy Spirit, when we're yielded to Him, we can rejoice always. And I'll tell you what, I've seen some believers that have been rejoicing in, in the Lord in a, just amazing, amazing situations. We're seeing the flooding and everything that's taking place down in, in uh, Texas right now, which brings to my mind a number of years ago, and maybe some of you remember it, that uh, when in Georgia, there was Tacoa College, down, a Bible college down in, in Georgia, and they had a terrible flood down there. And one of the things that amazed me is when they interviewed some of the people from that region, some of them who lost everything through that flood, you know what they were doing? They're still rejoicing and praising God. How, how can you do that? Well, when you're controlled by the Spirit of God and, and your hopes aren't pinned on the things of this world, but pinned on eternity, then you can rejoice in the Lord always. Secondly, in, in that passage, right after Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it, it talks about giving thanks. And, and at what kind of times does the Lord want us to give thanks? Always. For what kind of things does the Lord want us to give thanks? <laughs> all things. All the time for everything. Do you realize in the flesh you can't do that? We can be thankful for some things on our own. But supernaturally the Holy Spirit enables us to truly, truly be thankful in all situations. That's the second evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Thirdly, it talks about submitting ourselves to one another as to the Lord um, that's not being selfish that's putting the interest of other people first you know the, the evidence of being filled with the spirit is not rolling around on the ground and frothing at the mouth or babbling incoherently the evidence of being controlled by the spirit has to do with joy thanksgiving and consideration of others unselfishness that's what the Holy Spirit produces and I'll tell you what by the way it goes on and you know what it uses for an illustration of submitting yourself to one another the yeah the relationship between husbands and wives wives submit yourself to your husbands as to the Lord husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it wives put your husbands first husbands put your wives first how, how much? Well, just all the time. Just all the time, that's all. And you can take time off from that in, when you get to heaven, because in heaven it's going to be different. We'll be like the angels, neither marrying nor giving in marriage. I don't understand all what it's going to be like, but that's what the, what the Lord Jesus said. So at any rate, we, we preserve the unity, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And according to Matthew chapter 18, sometimes... To maintain that unity, it requires being reconciled to brothers with whom we have a falling out. In Matthew 18, Jesus says what to do. If a brother sins against you, what are we supposed to do? 
Where do you start with that? You go tell the preacher, right? You go tell everybody else you know and make it a prayer request, right? Now, what do you do? You go to that person. You go to that brother one-on-one, and you seek to, to, to restore that relationship. You do it, according to Galatians 6, in, in a spirit of humility and, and, and love when you go to that brother. But sometimes it involves getting some things straightened out, not just letting them continue to fester and be an issue. So the Holy Spirit unites, and what a beautiful thing it is to see when believers who disagree and even have a falling out with each other can get it worked out. Can that be done? That can be done. Too many times it's not done. Uh, Instead of doing it, people sit on the other side of the church from somebody, or they go to a different church to try to avoid the issue, whatever. That's not the way the Bible says to handle things. We find the Holy Spirit also instructs. He unites. He teaches. He speaks. Now, if you've got your Bibles, turn over to the book of Revelation with me. And the Lord Jesus here is sending letters to seven different churches. And in each of these letters, he, he has things that most of the letters, he compliments the church for something. A couple churches he doesn't. Uh, most of the churches he has something for which he rebukes them. He has promises that he gives to them. He gives instructions for how to straighten out some of the things for which he rebukes them. But I want you to notice in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 2, uh, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, and by the way, you go on to the next four churches, and you know what it says at the end of the Lord's letter to each one of those churches? If you have an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us. He wants to instruct us. That's one of his functions. Jesus said in John 14, 15, and 16, he talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, one of the things that the Holy Spirit's going to do when he comes, he's going to teach you all the things about me that you need to know. He's going to instruct you in all the things that you need to be instructed in. And, and that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. And uh, we find that the Holy Spirit does that by, uh, first of all, giving us Scripture. Uh, what do we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17? All Scripture is what? God-breathed. God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for rebuke for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And the result of that is that the man of God and the woman of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you go over to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it tells us no scripture is of private origination. Men didn't make it up. But uh, Paul and Peter and David and Moses, how did they come to write scripture? 
in verse 21 of 2 Peter 1, it says that holy men were moved along by the Holy Spirit. That word moved along is used for a ship being moved along by the wind. And these men were moved along to get down on paper or parchment or whatever or vellum to get down exactly what the Lord wanted them to get down so that what we have resulting in this book is the Word of God. And who's the author of it? We got, yeah, we got human authors, but who's the ultimate author of all Scripture? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And, and then, great thing is, we're told in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit also helps us to understand the Scriptures He's given to us. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit illumines us to help us to understand what He's, what he's written. Uh, one of the things that used to bug me in English class is when they, we'd have to read something and the teacher would say, what did the author mean by this? And, and then you'd have a debate for 40 minutes of what, what the, the author meant. Well, how's the, what, how's the, what's the only way you can really know what the author meant for the author to tell you, right? Well, the good news is we can know exactly what the Lord meant. The Holy Spirit of God helps us to understand the Scriptures. So the Spirit speaks, and He also uses people sometimes to help us. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, it says that the Lord gave to His church, He gave some to be apostles and prophets. We don't have them around anymore. Last apostle left the earth when John died, and we don't have the gift of prophecy as far as men getting direct revelation from God anymore. We've got the revelation right here. You want to know what God has to say about something, you go to the Bible. You don't go get the latest revelation from some prophet someplace. Don't go to the Internet. Don't turn on late-night TV uh, to get the latest word from God. Just open your Bible. But it also says that he, he gave pastor teachers and he gave evangelists who would be the equivalent of our modern-day missionaries. And you know the main function of pastor teachers? What's a pastor supposed to teach? He's supposed to preach the Word of God, isn't he? And a pastor is a shepherd that feeds the sheep. What's a pastor feed the sheep? He feeds them the Word of God. So he, he, the Spirit speaks, and he uses the Word of God and in our day and age, and he uses people who teach the Word of God, and the Spirit himself helps you and me, if we'll study it, to be able to understand and, and know the Word of God. And you know what? When, when the Holy Spirit has spoken and told us what the will of God is, you know what He expects? He expects us to obey. In, in fact, in all those passages in Revelation where He says, let the, let the, the, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's it mean to hear? Yeah. Listen with your ears and heed it, Right? Listen, uh, my mom and dad, sometimes when they would talk to me and give instructions, they say, now, listen to me. What did they mean? They meant, don't just hear what I have to say, but you hear it, then you do it. You know, listen to me. Uh, Charles Stanley says that all the time, doesn't he? Listen to me. Listen to me. 
and he does it when he's teaching the Word of God. And people do need to listen to what the Word of God has to say and then obey it. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, it uh, talks there. Well, turn over there with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. What happens when you've received the word of God? It effectively works. What's that mean? That means it changes our lives. It changes our behavior. It directs the path that we take and, and, and the actions that, that we carry out. So we find that he expects us to obey. Now, the Holy Spirit also appoints. He's involved in choosing those who are going to be involved in serving and leading in local churches. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 20. In this passage, Paul calls for the Ephesian elders. He's on his way to Rome, and, or excuse me, to Jerusalem, and he pretty well knows that uh, he may not see these people again. So he asks the Ephesian elders to come to meet with him at Miletus, and he gives them instruction about carrying on their ministry and leading the church there in Ephesus and in Verse 27, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I've taught you the way that I should. And he says in verse 28, Therefore, take heed to yourselves, to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Who is it that appoints pastors in local churches? When everything's done the way that God wants it to be done, it's the Holy Spirit of God. I am convinced that the Holy Spirit of God was involved in bringing my wife and me to this church a little over 28 years ago. Uh, we thought for sure the Lord was going to take us from Iowa to Indiana. Well, he brought us a little further north than Indiana. And uh, there, there have just been so many things that have confirmed it. Now, God used the congregation. God used the people, and they, they voted. And uh, I think there were three that voted no. And I, I never have found out who those three people were. I thought I knew a couple, but I found out later on they voted for us. I don't know who they were. I would imagine probably by now the Lord's chasing them and taking them home to glory at this point. But, but, the, but the Lord uses the congregation, but when, but when we're seeking God's will, and we're not wanting just our own way. And we're not being selfish in the whole process. And we genuinely want what God wants. You know what God does? God does the appointing. The Holy Spirit does the appointing. These people were leaders in the church at Ephesus because the Holy Spirit put them in that position. And uh, I believe he still does that today. Can, can churches mess that up? Sure they can. Well, we're calling this guy because he's rich. You know, and, and he, if the general fund gets in trouble, he can, 
he can help us out. Or we're, we're going to call this guy because he's so good looking. Uh, I know that's not why I was called here. <laughs> it was my wife. She was the good looking one. That's why we were called here. But you, you can have wrong things in view. And a church can mess it up. Yeah. But if you're really seeking God's will, uh, and how do you seek God's will? Well, you pray, right? You talk to the Lord an awful lot about it. And, and you try to put your own personal preferences and things like that aside. And you, and you seek what, what God would have you to do. And the, the elders in the church in, in, in uh, Ephesus were, were made elders and given the oversight of that church by the Holy Spirit of God. And he still does the same today. Uh, there, there's a couple other things that come into play. Uh, and, and a church, uh, they're going to find the man that God wants them to have. Uh, they need to take the qualifications into consideration that are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to uh, five to nine. We don't have time to get into all of those this evening, but those are some things you ought to look at. You know, somebody that, that's uh, not given to wine, somebody that is is uh, careful with his money, somebody that has a good reputation in the community, a man that's a husband of one wife, a man who who uh, takes care and gives leadership in his own home. Uh, all those things are, are important things to check out and to, to find and uh, to, to be looking at things that give direct indication that uh, the Holy Spirit is in, involved in bringing that person to a place of leadership. The Spirit also appoints leaders within a church in a different areas of ministry. In Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, both those passages talk about spiritual gifts being given to people. Among those gifts, there's the gift of teaching, there's the gift of, of administration or leadership. Uh, my favorite in there is the gift of helps. You know what that is? You're just willing to help. You're always looking to help. You say, I'm not sure what my spiritual gift is. Well, let me encourage you to think in terms of a good place to start is helps. You know, if, if, I'll tell you what, if, in, in the church and in life, if you will just be looking to help people, that, that would be such a blessing in, in a family, in the church, in, in your job. You know, too many times on the job, somebody gets their work done, and so they, you know, they're ready to just knock off. But one of the ways you can demonstrate the Spirit of God working in your life is being willing to help. Somebody else isn't finished, so what, what can you do? You can help them, right? That, that, that's good on the job. That's good in the home. You know, you, kids have got their, their homework done, and um, they're responsible. But, but mom's still doing the dishes, or mom's still doing some housework. What's one of the things you can do? Can I help? Can I help? Hey, and uh, that's one of the, the real starting places for spiritual gifts. You're just looking to be a helper to people. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's a good role. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be your helper. And he wants us to be helpers, to help any way that we can. And then God has given other gifts. Some have the gift of teaching. 
Some don't have the gift of teaching. And it's, it's good when we recognize that we, we maybe don't have the gift of teaching. You know, it, uh, I think somebody should always ha have a sense of uh, being overwhelmed with the responsibility when you're teaching, especially if you're teaching the Word of God and you're teaching the gospel. You know, that's kind of a, <laughs> a frightening thing. And I never want to get over that. Never want to be get over that. I always want a sense of, of holy nervousness. <laughs> Do you, can you get what that is? You always want to have that. But you also want to be able to communicate the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit gifts people to serve in different areas within the church, and He will empower them. In Acts chapter 6, when the first deacons were selected, uh, we find that the people were told that they needed to go and they needed to seek seven men that were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it gave some other qualifications these people should have. And it says, then they would be appointed over the work of seeing to it that the widows were all taken care of evenly and, and fairly and, and rightly. And so once again, the Holy Spirit's involved. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8, it gives the qualifications for deacons. And uh, that's something else that the church ought to take seriously when we start thinking about choosing men to serve as deacons. By the way, you know what the word deacon means? It means to serve. Deacons are servants. Deacons don't run the church. They serve. And in fact, the whole concept of leadership within the church is servant leadership. In fact, Jesus' whole concept of leadership is servant leadership. Even as a pastor, as the overseer of the church, the bishop, you know what he is? He's a servant of all. Remember what Jesus told the disciples? You, you want to lead people, just remember, he that's going to be the leader is the servant of all. And within the home. Yeah, the father's the leader in the home. The husband's the leader in the home. But who does he need to make sure that he's taking into consideration as he leads in that home? He needs to be seeking the welfare of his wife, being a servant leader to her. In, in fact, even in government, we used to talk about people and they were elected to go to Washington or Lansing, and we called them public servants. I think that's been lost, except during campaign. Uh, too many times people go to Washington or Lansing, and who are they looking to serve? They're looking to get themselves reelected because they're making a career out of it. Uh, we could talk about term limits, but that's off the point. <laughs> I, I, I will point out we have a good thing in this church here, and that's the fact that we do have term limitations. You know, a person serves a term as a deacon, and they then take a year off. And you get somebody else involved. And, and then other people can come and invo be involved in the ministry. And, and, and that's a good thing. You don't just have a continual, continual thing going on. And uh, I guess we even have some term limitations on the time that a pastor stays. You know, pastors get old and wear out. <laughs> and you got to bring new ones in on the scene. But the Holy Spirit appoints leaders. He appoints the, uh, all that are involved. He oversees. He calls workers. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. 
Matthew chapter 9, start at verse 36. This doesn't look like the passage that I want. I'm in Luke. That's why it doesn't look like the passage that I want. There we are. It says, but when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Who sends people into the harvest? God does. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to what? Not to start with. Pray. Start out praying. Ask God, raise up laborers. We, we talked about the need we had for uh, more people working in Sunday school and, and the uh, church hour and the children's ministry. Well, we always need more people than Awana. Uh, I'll tell you, a good place to start is, is pray. You know, we, we think about the, the harvest field being ripe, children that need to hear the gospel, children that need to be discipled, people that need to be discipled, people that need to be evangelized. There's a tremendous need out there. And what's our first responsibility? We pray. We pray. Pray in concern. Pray in compassion the way that Jesus demonstrated compassion. He's moved with compassion as he looked at the multitude. And he tells you and me, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. Now, I'll be honest with you here. If you pray... And you really get a burden for God to have workers serving to reach out and minister to people. What happens many times? Julie, we pray, guess who God sends? He makes us an answer to our own prayer. But you know there's a difference when you pray and ask God to send forth laborers than if you just, well, man, there's a need there. I'll just do it. But if you start out and you pray, say, Lord, send somebody. Lord, there's a real need here. Those people are hurt. Those people are going to hell. Those people need to be cared for. Somebody needs to love. Some of those kids need to be loved on and, and given some attention. And, and you pray for them, and God gives you a burden for them. And then if you respond to that need, what happens? You respond to that need because God's sending you out. And there's a difference between God sending you out and you being obedient to Him than you just kind of superficially, well, there's a need. I, mean, I guess somebody has to do something, so I'll do it. There's a difference, isn't it? And when we do it just because somebody has to do something or when we do it when God wants us to do it, there's a difference, isn't there? Pray the Lord of the harvest that He sends forth labors. And, and sometimes it's not us that He sends. Sometimes we don't even have the capability of doing the, the ministry that he's given us a concern for. But God does answer prayer. And he raises up other people to go out and carry on that ministry. We have a great example of that in Acts 13. Flip over there, and we read about the first missionaries over in Acts 13 at the Church of Pentecost. 
or church of Antioch, church of Antioch, says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manine, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Boy, there you have a beautiful dynamic of laborers being called and laborers being sent out. How's this all begin? Well, it begins with some of these leaders in the church. What are they doing? It says they ministered to the Lord. They served the Lord. Now, what can you do to minister to God? What can you do to serve the Lord? What do you suppose these guys were doing? Linda, I think you said. I think they were praying. I think they were praying and worshiping God and thanking God and praising Him and, and maybe bringing their requests before the Lord as well. And so I think you've got guys that are praying and they're, they're so serious in their worshiping and their praying of the Lord. What are they not doing? They're not eating. <laughs> they're, they're fasting. By the way, anytime in Scripture you find fasting, generally you find it coupled with prayer. Just fasting by itself isn't of much value, except sometimes it can be good for your stomach. Uh, but praying, seriousness about praying, and as they're talking to God, God works in their hearts and their lives, and he says to them, I, I want you to separate to me Barnabas and Saul for, for what? For the work to which, who called them? The Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas to the work. And what's the church called upon to do? Recognize that and then send them out. Man, you got the, you got the cooperative there, the divine human cooperative. Praying, God working, and, and, and the, then the church setting apart Paul and Barnabas and then sending them out. And, and praying for them and their, their ministry. Having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, indicating their, their support for them and the fact they're with them, and they sent them away. And that begins the three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul that takes up the rest of the book of Acts and then goes on from there. So the Holy Spirit calls. We're, he still does that today. And where's a good place for us to start in, in getting the right people involved in places of ministry in our church and really serving the Lord around the world? Prayer. Prayer. And what do we need to continue to do? Pray. Keep praying. Keep ministering to God. Praying. The Holy Spirit prepares workers as well. He equips workers. Back in Acts 4, we find the apostles here, and they are... Uh, they're aware of their own weaknesses, their own inadequacies. And in verse 29, they, they pray. They pray. It says, now, Lord, look on their threats. They, they've been threatened by the leaders of the day. Look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. God, we've been threatened. 
And sometimes we get threatened. What do we have a temptation to do? Somebody says, if you keep doing that in the name of the Lord, you're in big trouble. What could we be tempted to do? We could be tempted to back off. And, and how do we keep from backing off? Well, one of the things we do, we pray. We do what these guys did. We pray. By the way, we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. How do we tap into that ministry? Through prayer. Through prayer. It goes on and it says, Give uh, us all boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now I don't know that we're going to have all the signs and sign miracles and healings and things like that today. But I'll tell you what, it'd be nice to see this place shaken, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to see this church shaken as we got serious about praying for souls and praying for God to work in the lives of people and praying for God to bring forth the right labors and the right workers to, to serve and be, business, be busy for God. And the other thing it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they had that boldness. I'll tell you what. We are facing days, and I believe it's going to get worse, where it's going, to, it's going to be a cost to publicly stand up for Jesus Christ as individual Christians and as churches. If we're going to be faithful to the Word of God, there are going to be some prices to pay. What do we need? We need Holy Spirit boldness to continue to proclaim the whole counsel of God, to proclaim the truth of the gospel, we desperately need that, and I pray that God would give that to us, that we would, we would have that boldness that we so desperately need. The Holy Spirit prepares workers. He empowers us. He also directs workers. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul gives testimony here as he writes to the church in Corinth. He is in Ephesus, and he talks about his desire to come and see the Corinthians at some point but here in verses 7 through 9 he writes and he says for I do not wish to see you now on the way but I, I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits but I will tarry in Ephesus till Pentecost I'm going to stay in Ephesus for a while at least till Pentecost why for a great and effective door has been opened to me Paul had a tremendous opportunity to serve him there in Ephesus. And uh, what, what a great blessing that was for him. And today, the Holy Spirit will give us opportunities to serve him if we're open to that. By the way, you also go to the book of, the book of Acts in chapter 16, and we find that the Holy Spirit stopped him from preaching in Asia Minor on one occasion and then opened the door to uh, Macedonia for Paul to go over there. But he says, that a great and effectual door has been opened to me for ministry. Who opens that door? Holy Spirit does. Who gives us opportunities today? Holy Spirit does. Sometimes he brings people across our paths. Sometimes he brings opportunities our way. And may God help us to take those opportunities, empowered by the Spirit of God, and to use those opportunities to serve him. But, but one caution, 
one caution. What else does he say in this verse? A great and effectual door of ministry has been opened to me. What else does he say? Yeah, there are many adversaries. Just because the Holy Spirit opens a door doesn't mean there aren't, there aren't going to be difficulties. Go, go back to the book of Acts. I think it's chapter 19. You can read about some of the adversaries Paul faced there in Ephesus. And there are many adversaries that come our way. So we find that uh, the Holy Spirit's involved in the work of the church. And we need to remember that. And he's responsible to send forth laborers. He's responsible to empower those who would serve him. He, he's responsible for appointing people that are going to serve in different capacities and raising up people to do so. God's not dependent on any one man. The Holy Spirit is involved no matter who God brings into places of leadership. But what's our responsibility? We have a responsibility to yield to the Spirit. We have a responsibility to depend on the Holy Spirit, uh, to spend a lot of time in prayer for the ministry in our lives and the ministry of the church. We have the responsibility to follow, to obey. We have the responsibility to not quench the Spirit. We have the responsibility to not grieve the Holy Spirit by sin in our life. Sins of commission. And what other kind of sins can we be guilty of? Omission. When we know good. To know good and not to do it is what? That's sin unto us. And I think maybe there's more of that kind of sinning that goes on among Christians today than maybe sins of, of commission. Well, Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Spirit in our lives in this local church, and we pray that we might be yielded to the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, dependent upon the Spirit of God to carry out the work of God according to the teachings of the Word of God as we proclaim the gospel of the Son of God. Father, we ask that you be glorified in all this. Help us to be faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you